You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds, here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we are here in our second week discussing the Red Death Murders by Jim Noy. We are going up to the challenge to the reader at the end of the 25th chapter of this book. 24th chapter of this book. My mistake. And Herds. Flex. You've got a series of questions to answer from one Jim Noy author of this very book. There are six six questions, six targets that I had to knock down. I've got my my horse and my jousting lance. I'm ready to ready to knock them down. I, I don't know. I, I'll tell you what I wasn't expecting that this stretch of the of the book would give me so many so many freebies in in the locked room regard. Yeah. Because I, I had a really great time last week talking about the poop shoot and how, how it was integral to any and all locked room mysteries in this book. But not only has Jim Noy given us the answer, and the answer was apparently centrifugal force. How does centrifugal force manage to do a poop shoot? It doesn't, is the answer. Oh. Look, I still said it was a rope trick, which was mm-hmm. technically accurate, but there was a very long and technical explanation that Jim decided to drag me through explaining in a thousand and one ways why I was wrong. What do you think is the most succinct way you would sum up the way that the rope trick worked? He used physics to spin a knife around and the rope was attached to the knife and then, and the rope went around the, went around the loop. And in order to separate the knife from the rope, it was burned with a lamp, which was foreshadowed because characters talk about character the about each other like meeting up in the night with lamps and candles and stuff. So when you last week heards were making fun of the fact that there was no round object to pull a rope around. I know. Technically were, there, were were there were two. There were two. There were two round nails. Clearly I didn't think hard enough about I mean, well there were four, actually. It was really great fun sitting here last week and watching you make the joke I was going to make for me, completely unawares of what you were doing. Look, I still say you could you could make that locked room again and make it involve the poop shoot because I think it would I think it would just be a fantastic idea. There, there are parapets up there. You could you could yank a yank a rope down the toilet. You know, I'm just saying. I, I, I will say the one small sort of gripe that I had with the, well. Wait, with the book or with my my theories? No, with, with the long <laughs> explanation, like okay. aside from it slowing the pacing down yes. immensely. Yeah. Which, you mm-hmm. know, I don't I don't feel like is a criticism that this book cares is, is levied against it. Well, yes, I agree. It is yes, not I unapparent. <laughs> it is not unapparent that the pacing takes a backseat to the explanations Let's here. Let's get this out of the way. Jim is fascinated with having Thomas and Will and sometimes Marcus puzzle through the details of a situation, but often to a point where I can't actually follow their explanation. And I don't know if it's because I'm dumb or because it's just, it's just long. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a whole thing. It's just very difficult for me to keep pace with the the slow pace, mind you, that Jim likes to explain his scientific forces with, and I respect I respect his indulgence in this regard, but I cannot say that it is 
yeah. helpful to my experience with the book. No, it's it's one of, it's one of those things that uh, is is a is a choice that's not going to appease everyone. But no. I enjoyed watching Jim enjoy himself. Yeah, even if it did take me about eight cups of tea to get mm-hmm. through it. Yeah, yeah. The both locked room explanations stuck out to me as being particularly slow, but that's okay because we have an awful lot of fun running around character stuff, some fun murders, a good public murder, which I always enjoy. It's true. The prince finally comes out of his room and he's about to say who he thinks the killer is only to abruptly die. I'm going to be honest. Until we actually physically saw him, I thought he was just going to be dead the whole time. Oh, interesting. Um, but he physically walks out of his room and but says- it's actually a mechanical contraption yeah, made of wooden legs. Exactly. Well, he says, like, I'm going to tell you who the killer is right now. And he dies. And it's it's great. It's an, it's an absolute classic. And the, the book obviously draws attention to the fact that it's he dies because he, like, drinks from this cup. Yeah, the cup's been poisoned and everyone has taken a drink from it. And the last person to touch it was Thomas and he didn't die. And the person before him was Marcus and he didn't die. So puts a couple of suspects in the firing line there. Did Marcus put poison in the cup? Did Marcus also not drink from the cup? Because that's something that Thomas did. So maybe none of the characters drank from the cup. Like- who, who knows? That sort of public killing where at once the solution is obvious, but it you know can't be that simple or else everyone would just stab Marcus is really fun. It's great. Yeah. I think that the, the, the big criticism I wanted to make of, you know, the solutions to the lock room is that there are so many red herrings that just kind of, keep swimming in the river like so many pieces of set dressing that could have been used for one or another detail that we spent a bit of time on and didn't end up really touching on in the locked room but the nice thing about that and you kind of touched on it there Hodes, is that when we do get to these scenes with these like public killings the way that proximity means there is a volume of information and it is the like density of that information to pick through for Thomas, our perspective character, where like he knows he didn't do it, but he's still having to think about how am I going to convince everyone else that I didn't do it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a very mafia scene with yes. Marcus saying like, I, I keep talking about mafia in the show, but like it's it's the name of the game. He says, you know, why would I make my killing of the prince so obvious? He says that to everybody in the room. And you, you have that question of like, is Marcus as good of a liar as William is? Is, is the question I was I was thinking about at the time. Although I will also say, in terms of the volume of clues, there are some clues that I am confused about. Not in the sense that they like don't make any sense, but I'm curious why Jim, because he likes to illustrate his point by like pointing to a specific. He likes to illustrate his solutions by pointing to a specific line in the text. He italicizes them in the present. Which you said to me that you you began to dread as you were I did. I feel like it's a little patronizing. I'll be honest. We're not at the end of the book yet. I'm sorry. I'm being very mean. But like, I don't, I, I don't know. There's something about it that throws me off. I thought that choosing 
the bit where Marcus decides to smash a table as an illustration that he didn't get into a fight the day before was a very strange connection. It makes sense, but I feel like it is not an obvious conclusion to make. And I'm very curious why Jim made that connection as he was putting the story together. Because I think that there are there are other clues that can lead you to that conclusion that like it was a stage fight between the two brothers. But he chose to have a table get smashed to show that Marcus has not lost any of his Herculean strength. What 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 clues do you think he would have chosen in that instance? Because I think I, I I understand the point that you're making, but also they clearly can't like let on in the same way. So we sort of have to have it confirmed through vagueness, right? Sure. I mean, I liked the way that Jim draws attention to the fact that Prospero says that there are characters that sort of cover for each other. Like how I, th- I think it's Marcus covers for William and Marcus covers for Bolden, that sort of thing. I think that clue, that that idea that, you know, if everybody is covering for the next person, you have to find the break in the chain. That's a that's a classic murder mystery clue. If if everyone is covering for somebody else, then you need to find a pair of characters that you can mistrust. And that's the brothers in this case. The the perfect alibi in the locked room and all of these things only work because they are in essence not what they say they are for sure every locked room is not actually locked every closed circle is not actually closed Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's murder mystery like that's just that's just how it is in the the critical mindset in the scholarly sense of a murder mystery somebody must know the solution before the book is even published so is it really even a mystery that's very that's very meta of me Mm. I think the, the other thing that was kind of fun, and I'm not I'm not entirely sure if I was quite sold on it, but was the way that Thomas' psyche was starting to fray, perhaps, perhaps too literally at some times, but there's the scene in chapter 18, for example, where he's like picturing the prince's neck and the marks all over it, and it's like repeating lines, and he's trying to solve things, but the line that closes that section is like, the madness deepened. It was interesting to me because on the one hand, I like the way that we still are exploring the way that Thomas as a young boy is like really in over his head with this whole murder business. But at the same time, I I felt like it started to get a little stagey. Yeah, I mean, I like Thomas's quandary in this part of the novel because he has to deal with the greatness that has been thrust upon him. I think that the decision to have Thomas theoretically be responsible for Zachariah's death is really cool. I enjoy that. Also, I think part of the reason why you, you feel like it's stagey is because that's that's like a theme of, of the novel. I'm going to give Jim credit here because I feel like I'm being too harsh on him today. That's something that's drawn attention to, that Zachariah's placement in the room is supposed to seem like he's committed suicide, but Will very quickly, by the way, I think that the the sequence where Will pretends to investigate the murder scene, but is just spouting nonsense apparently for hours. I love that. Will, best character, easily. But he, he points out that if you actually wanted to hang yourself, you would want to pick the heaviest beams. That is something that Zachariah, being the methodical bodyguard of the prince, would think of. And so the fact that he's not hung from the heaviest beams, but rather those with a good view of the door that you would open when looking 
to find his body means that's something that the killer is thinking about. Oh, you totally. know, the, the theatricality of the, the slit wrists of, of Oswin and Prospero dying in the middle of his speech and Zachariah hanging macabrely in the center of the room, like all of these things. And I mean, it's, it's the red death, right? It's supposed to feel like a theater play in that sense. I want to be clear. I completely agree with you. I absolutely love the way that this novel is like grim darkness with a splash of like rock opera. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's it's excellent. Like you know, and that that's also that comes from the Mask of the Red Death, right? Like mm-hmm. the the revels yeah. and this nonsense that goes on in the, the symbolism rooms, right? Like all they were doing in that story is just 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 jazzing out, having a great time. Mm. Because the thing, the thing I think that I'm on the fence with, with Thomas ending up in theatrics, is that in the first stretch of chapters we read, it felt to me more like he was a slice of normalcy who was in over his head that kind of sold the theatrics of the rest of it. And him ending up in the theatrics is at once great and continues the theatrics, and I like the theatrics, but it means that we don't kind of have a touch with reality. Yeah. Is the curious thing. Well, I think that he's coming out the other end of that that madness. Now that he's spent some time just hanging out with Will, solving murder mysteries and remembering his roots, as it were, I think that we're coming out the other end of that and we're being pulled back down to a sense of normalcy. We'll see where he ends up. It's it's a bit like the whole impossible crime thing where, like, through the middle of the book, it, it it's made to seem so impossible that it sure. must be magic, right? It, it can't be anything else. It has to be couldn't possibly the be rats. Anything else. The rats are the ones who poisoned the king and hanged, hanged a man. And, yeah, it was the rats. That's what it was. Well, I suppose, Herds, I hope mm. you're ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for the end. Let's this is go. Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour here on 2SER 107.3. We are discussing the Red Death Murders by Jim Noy, and we'll be back with more of that in just a second. Stick around. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your murder mystery world tour. And oh my goodness. Uh-oh. Herds. Yeah, yeah, Flex. Do you know who the killer is and why they've done these horrible crimes? I and mean- several <laughs> other questions. Six questions in total. I'm going to let you know that I, I think I can answer maybe four of the six questions relatively comfortably. I feel like the how of this murder and the who- is illuminated for me, but the why questions, I, I look. Lawrence is a is an, an enigma to me. He was not in the novel long enough for me to understand how he knew or the terrible secrets that he knew. But let's let's get into things. Let's get the cat out of the bag. Highstone is the killer. I'm just going to throw what? that out there. But 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 Herds, why was his hand thrust into the fire if he was the killer? Because he was trying to get the thing out, or he was pushed, or whatever. Look, he's the killer. I was going to come up with this really clever thing. I was going to talk about color theming in the book, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like they literally have a scene where Highstone has been burned horribly and all the other alive characters are like, well, now that Highstone is incapacitated, let's talk about the future of us in this book that we're in. <laughs> like they literally talk about all of the, the, the ways they're going to wrap up the plot. 
the characters seem to have already decided that Highstone is the killer. Yes. And that was like three chapters ago, which is bizarre to me. I'm genuinely curious why the challenge to the reader is where it is and not like four chapters ago. Yeah, it's pretty clear that Jim obviously has a preference for the more important parts of the story being the ones that the questions are about, which is not necessarily the who of the crime. It's a little unusual for a whodunit, but it does still ask you for those sorts of character motivations and ask you to provide insights where normally you'd be asked for mechanics. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's him because he's a medicine man and we're dealing with the Red Death and obviously we're looking for a way to, like, talk about the plague. And I'm sure that there are lots of clever ways that he's killed people by pushing people downstairs and using medicine tricks to, to murder. Also, and this is the part that I felt really clever about when I, when I noticed this, and it was going to be the crux of my argument, not that I need it, but he has crimson sleeves. He's the only character whose color scheme is like consistently remarked upon by the narrator that he has these crimson sleeves. And the only other things in the book that are referred to as crimson are the blood of Sir Oswin and the, the crimson room down below. Like if that isn't the thematics of the novel being illustrated through color theming, I don't know what is. Color theming in color a novel theming. based off the mask of the red death. Exactly. It's That's the mask. It's heads. the Red Death mask. Like I come don't on now. think there is any possible way yeah. that this, uh, mm. you know, that th- th- there could be any link here. Yeah, it's him. It's it's Highstone. I believe that he has been mostly been killing by pushing people downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And in the case of Prince Prospero, I think that the poison is like it would be very easy for him to poison him slowly over time, but it wouldn't have killed him at the exact moment it's true. of, it's, of it's, drinking it's, it's, right it'd be too convenient yeah know? i think so i think that we have a much cleverer solution if you'll pardon my vernacular i think that what he's probably done is he's like given the prince a neck massage but he's actually like snapped something so that when he oh gosh he's done the vulcan nerve pinch yeah he's done a vulcan nerve pinch but in such a way that it's like broken some some bones in his neck so that when he goes to like drink or eat he just, like, his neck falls into pieces, which explains why we find that his head has been chopped off later on. It's not to, like, hide the fact that there's no bruising. It's because there's been some internal damage done by our by our Doctor character. Because I'll be frank, I've let Doctors go before in this show because I think of them it's as harmless true. old men. Somehow in all of the time that we've been doing this Ugh. show, we've never really had a proper, like, Doctor culprit. This has to be the time. This is it. This is the doctor's time to shine. So that's that's two questions I think that I've answered. The killer, who is responsible for the murders? It's Highstone. How is Prince Prospero killed? It was through a, a deadly neck massage. Deadly neck massage. And why was his body desecrated and the left hand burned? Question five. I think it was desecrated to hide the internal damage done by the doctor. The left hand burned. I think that was a trap set by Marcus to like get Highstone to reach for the hand. Ooh. But I'm not I'm not 100% on that. I mean, it makes sense in that like they've been staging things to try catch people out the entire time. William shouts Marcus, which is either because Marcus has just pushed Highstone into the fire or because Marcus like staged the whole thing. He like put the king's or the prince's left hand in the fire to lure Highstone, or both. I'm just going to say both because that sounds like fun. I think that's why the left hand has been burned. It's it's like a trap. 
to confirm Marcus's suspicions after he found all the metal stuff down the well. Now, <laughs> the other three questions I'm less confident in. I think Oswin Bassingham was killed because his attempts to overthrow the prince ran counter uh -oh. to Highstone's plan to continue, I'm going to say experiment on people, study the Red Death. I think all the corpses in the mm -hmm, moat mm -hmm. are from his medical experiments. And so if Prince Prospero was overthrown, Wait. then that would be uncovered, I guess, if they were like opened up to the outside world. What's your weight? What's your weight? So Oswin was killed for the experiments that were being done. Wait, hold. Ages ago. I, th I think, look, as I said, not 100% confident. Y are you suggesting that they're responsible for making the red death? No, I, no, I don't think so. I think that Highstone has an inquisitive mind and that he threw his red death experiments into, I don't know, maybe he killed a bunch of people and infected them with the red death. I don't know. And he threw them in the moat. And if Oswin's plan to like take the prince out of power comes to fruition, then they'll have to open up the gates and other people are going to find all those bodies. It's going to be a problem. That's what I'm going to say. And then he's thrown into the moat because obviously Will and Marcus were going to expose the fact that it was not a suicide. And I still want to like delay that. The third question, and for our purposes, the final question, how did Lawrence Tolworth know of Sir Oswald's death? I I don't know. I'll be completely honest with you. This question- You've got no clue. I don't, I'm not sure. I can't come up with like a good answer. Like I could, I could- What, what, just, what are you, what's your- I don't know. What, what's the hang up? What's the, what's the hang up? Because I just don't feel like there's like a good explanation. <laughs> I don't know. Like- because we like the body is found, and then pretty much immediately afterwards, Thomas goes down and finds Lawrence. He doesn't say Sir Oswin is dead. He says shame about what happened to Sir Oswin. I mean, surely if we were going to be finding out about this being a trap, that there would have been some other clue suggesting that something else had happened to Sir Oswin. My gut assumption is that this is this is a this is a trap that he doesn't know that he's dead. He just is like generally saying- Hold on. You think, shame. you think Jim's put a trick question into his book? That's, I mean, I don't want to say that. I feel like that ruins all credibility of myself and Jim and the show. But I, I don't- I agree. I, <laughs> I think this is, I think this is slander. You think that Jim Noy would put, he could have had a nice round five question. He could have. Jim- what are you doing? <laughs> I, I, seriously, this question, like that is, I think going to have to be my answer because any other answer, like doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, cause he, he, I don't feel like he could have traveled up to see Sir Oswin and then come back down. I don't feel like that makes a lot of sense. And I, I don't know. I mean, unless somebody else told him about it, like maybe Highstone or, or Zachariah told him already. Like, cause uh -huh. I, I don't like that tone. Is that what it is? is <laughs> I, I feel like the thing that you're missing here hurts is that it's, you're trying to think about this as a practicality question of, as a logistics question. It is logistics. It's a castle. Is it? 
What kind of question is it then? You want to tell me what kind of question this is? I think this is a motive question. This is a motive question? Yeah. Let's ignore the how did Lawrence Tolworth know of Sir Oswin's death. I want you to think of the why he might have. Because he knew he was going to be killed. But then why was he working with that's a great. I have no idea. See, I was not of the impression that that's what was going on. But I was of the impression that because he's killed- in the, Listen, I'm not saying that that assumption is that. I don't think that's that's the thing. I don't think that's accurate because I think that he was killed. Uh-huh. I think that Lawrence was killed by Highstone while Highstone was dealing with the body. Because don't they find him as they're going up to see Oswin, and Oswin has already been thrown in the moat? I feel like it makes more sense if Lawrence is killed because he like stumbles on Highstone moving the body, right? which doesn't make any sense. Like, why would he kill Lawrence if he's an accomplice? I don't, I don't, I don't know. That may well be the case. It might just be that Lawrence has been an accomplice this entire time, but I I don't know what he would, he would do. I don't know why he would, why he would want to kill Oswald. Is that the only way that he could be involved oh in knowing about Oswald? I'm, I'm going to say no. But I am struggling to come up with an alternative source of motive here. Yeah, because I think it's very clear based on the question that Jim's asking that it is motive that he's really looking for here. It's It may be a how question, but it's definitely more of a why was he in a position to know question? What was the extra context that Lawrence had to be someone with access to that information? Goodness, I feel like I must be close if you're like poking me around like this. Because there's the, there's the brazier, there's like the green flame, but I don't, like, unless that's like a signal, it's like the signal that, that Sir Oswald has been killed when, when he dies, there's like a myth that like when the one who will never be killed dies, the green flame will be lit. I think the other thing that's, that's interesting that may be holding you up here is you haven't really spoken much about the revels the revels yeah like we have all of these discussions of how the situation has like evolved since they had these big parties downstairs and the fun started to wear off and i feel like we haven't had any connection from what you've been saying to that particular part of the the framing Mm. of the novel which is as i recall a pretty reasonable part of the mask of the red death is the like turbulence and chaos and contrast of the parties that Prince Prospero was throwing. Sure. Let me have a look. I mean, any, any guess about what other character connections there, there could be that allowing Lawrence to know about these things. Character connection to let Lawrence know about the plot of the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The big character connection for him is with Marcus and William. Uh-huh. But they don't know before he knows. They both go straight to the, the main room, don't they? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Look, I, I I could not tell you. I'd have to reread the entire book. Right. I'm I'm gonna no, look, I think listen. I'm Herds. gonna say that he was Can I can I say I I, re- what you- I really I really hate to be a downer here, Herds, but based on the reasoning you've been giving me with the prodding I've been giving you. What? 
I, I don't think there's much hope of you. I look. I'm gonna say that <laughs> in the chaos of the revelries, that he was yeah. in a forbidden relationship with, let's say, Zachariah, and that he he okay. learned he learned through the bodyguard that Srozen was was dead. Let's say that. That sounds that sounds, sounds great to me. To I me. think that's a an excellent that reasoning. Sounds, yep, that sounds good. I don't, look, as I said, nice. I feel like maybe four questions. I've got down pat. I have no I've, clue what to do with Lawrence. I'm sorry. I don't care about Lawrence. It's, it's just that's all right. nothing personal. Nothing personal, kid. Lawrence's of the world, but I just don't get you. Think sustainability <laughs> on 2SER produced by Lawrence. Lawrence uh, is your regular catch up on what's going on in the world of uh, environmental research. You can find that on your <laughs> podcast app of choice if you're interested in learning more about sustainability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is Death of the Reader. Your Murder Mystery World Tour here on 2SER 107.3. We are talking The Red Death Murders by Jim Noy. And next week on the show, Herds, all the way to the end. It's a little short jog. And on that jog, we will be accompanied by Jim Noy himself, who's joining us for all of next week's Look, episode. I just I just want to know what Lawrence's deal was. That's all I want. That's all I need. Ah. It, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited <laughs> to, uh, to find out your reaction. I hope it's just nothing. I hope it's just really boring. Just not even insignificant. Or that he's like two servants in a trench coat. That's what that's, I want. That's my hope. My hope is two servants in a trench coat. Heck yeah. All right. We will see you next week. <gasps> what if he is Sir Oswin? Sorry. We will see you next week on Death of the Reader. <laughs> We're out of here. If he is Sir Oswin, I'm taking a point. It's happening. <laughs>